Welcome to the inaugural episode of Silver Screen Superheroes, released through Bureau 42. In 2013, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of Superman by going through all of his silver screen appearances. In 2014, we celebrated the 75th anniversary of Batman in a similar fashion. Now in 2015, we're going to continue analyzing one superhero film on the 14th of the month every month, but we're expanding that focus so it's not just Superman or just Batman. The ultimate goal is to cover every possible theatrical release before moving on to the direct-to-video films, and the intention is to keep films in the same franchise together as much as possible, so all Spider-Man movies would be in one sequence, and all the X-Men films in another sequence, and all the Avengers films, including solo titles for the regular characters like Iron Man and Thor, etc., would all be in sequence, at least as much as possible for the active franchises. So for example... Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice is still coming. That's going to be out of sequence relative to the Batman and Superman films that we've done so far. Now with that, I do have a question for listeners, and I encourage everyone to send your responses to Bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. Do you think James Bond qualifies as a superhero? If enough people say that yes, they do, I will cover those. Instead of doing all the Bond films together, I would group them by actor. So all the Sean Connery films together, all the Roger Moore films together, and so forth. If you do consider him a superhero and would like those films to be covered, please also specify who your favorite James Bond actor is. I can look at the votes in that and prioritize which grouping to do first. So now that we're done with Superman and Batman, at least until they produce more, I've decided to go in a little bit of a different direction for the superhero film. This month we're looking at a character that's older than either Batman or Superman and did not originate in comic books. He started out as the narrator of Detective Story Hour. It was a radio program that was promoted and produced by Street and Smith Publications and debuted on July 31st, 1930. He was popular enough with listeners and later readers of the magazine that incorporated him that William B. Gibson was tasked with fleshing him out into a fully realized character, at least in some media. Now, as is not uncommon at the time, the media didn't really stay consistent across platforms, so just as the Blue Beetle in the comics didn't really match the Blue Beetle in the radio shows, and the Captain America comics didn't match Captain America in the 1944 serial, which we will discuss down the road. The pulp version of this character and the radio version were quite different. Now, due to copyright entanglements, I haven't been able to listen to any of the radio shows, and I haven't been able to track down any of the pulp novels or magazines he appeared in either, partly because, you know, I didn't have a lot of lead time before deciding which movie I was going to do this month so I didn't have a lot of time to look. So this film is the first incarnation of The Shadow that I've had a chance to become familiar with. I bought it because I found a great deal on the Blu-ray for the purposes of this podcast and watched it for the first time in preparation for this episode. So yes, we are dealing with The Shadow, which was released in North America on July 1st, 1994. It was directed by Russell McCahey. Now, Russell McCahey has 50 directorial credits to date, Prior credits include Derek and Clive Get the Horn, which was his introduction or his debut film. Also, Razorback, Highlander, Highlander 2 The Quickening, Ricochet, Blue Ice, The Real McCoy, and episodes of Tales from the Crypt prior to this film. His later credits include more Tales from the Crypt, Silent Trigger, Perversions of Science, Tale of the Mummy, Resurrection, The Hunger, Queer as Folk, Swimming Upstream, Resident Evil Extinction, episodes of Skin, episodes of Teen Wolf, and numerous music videos from the start of his career right up until now. He is still working today, but I would say that Highlander is probably his best-known project. Now, William B. Gibson is one of the credited writers. He's got eight credits, all of which are for this specific character. 
because the shadow has appeared in serials in 1937, in 1940, three serials in 1946, as well as feature films The Invisible Avenger from 1958 and Thwarted from 1991. Now, the person who adapted the source material and brought it all together into this script is David Kep. I may be mispronouncing that last name. It's spelled K-O-E-P-P. His work previous to this included Toy Soldiers, Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, Carlito's Way, and The Paper. Now, highlights of his film after this include Mission Impossible, Trigger Effect, Lost World, Jurassic Park, Snake Eyes, Stir of Echoes, Panic Room, and for now, we'll end the listings with Spider-Man from 2002, directed by Sam Raimi. We'll look at his career after that when we do the Spider-Man podcasts. So from there, we'll get into the stars who are actually in this film. Alec Baldwin was the star playing the title character. And in fact, when he's first introduced on screen in this movie, it's very clear that the audience is expected to know who he is, what part he's playing, and react to the way he's being introduced. More on that later. His prior acting credits date back to 1963, so he had his first job when he was about five years old. His best-known previous projects include Knott's Landing, She's Having a Baby, Beetlejuice, Married to the Mob, Working Girl, Great Balls of Fire, Hunt for Red October, Miami Blues, Alice the Marrying Man, Prelude to a Kiss, Glengarry Glenn Ross, The Larry Stander Show as himself, Malice, and The Getaway. Notable credits after this include The Juror, Ghosts of Mississippi, The Edge, Mercury Rising, The Confession, Thick as Thieves, Notting Hill, State and Maine, Pearl Harbor, Cats and Dogs, Final Fantasy Spirits Within, Royal Tenenbaums, Friends, Adventures of Pluto Nash, which he was uncredited, which is probably for the best, Along Came Polly, Fairly Odd Parents, Nip Tuck, The SpongeBob SquarePants Movie, Las Vegas, The Aviator, The Simpsons, Will and Grace, Fun with Dick and Jane, The Departed, Good Shepherd, and 30 Rock, along with a lot of others. Now, John Lone is in this film as the villain, Shaiwan Khan. His credits date back into the 1970s, including the 1976 King Kong, Eight is Enough, Hill Street Blues, The Last Emperor, and Madame Butterfly. Credits after this film include Hunted, Rush Hour 2, and a few more, but those are the most notable ones. Penelope Ann Miller is in here as Margot Lane, who is also the hero's love interest, and it's a character who was rumored when originally introduced to have been considered to be a relative of Lois Lane from the Superman comic strips. Now, Penelope Ann Miller's credits date back to 1985, including Tales from the Dark Side, Facts of Life, Family Ties, Miami Vice, Adventures in Babysitting, St. Elsewhere, Biloxi Blues, Big Top Pee Wee, Awakenings, Kindergarten Cop, Chaplin, and Carlito's Way. Credits following this include The Relic, The Closer, Along Came a Spider, CSI New York, Desperate Housewives, The Artist Saving Lincoln, and a lot of other projects. So that the cast here is shaping up. John Lone is probably the least recognizable of the major players. We also have the cab driver and one of the agents of the shadow here, played by Peter Boyle as Mo Shrevnitz. Boyle's credits go back to 1966. The most notable titles that predate this include Young Frankenstein, Outland, Johnny Dangerously, Red Heat, Malcolm X, and Killer. Later credits include all three Santa Claus films, NYPD Blue, While You Were Sleeping, The X-Files as Clyde Brookman in Season 3. We'll get to that in a separate podcast later. That Darn Cat, Species 2, Dr. Doolittle, Monster's Ball, The Adventures of Pluto Nash, and most prominently in recent years, Everybody Loves Raymond. Now, we also have Ian McKellen in the role as Reinhardt Lane. His credits date back to 1964, including a lot of made-for-TV Shakespeare films, The Last Action Hero, Ballad of Little Joe, and Six Degrees of Separation. His later movies include Restoration, Gods and Monsters, At Pupil, quite a few more. We'll cut off the discussion here at The X-Men. And when we get into that franchise series of podcasts, then we'll discuss 
all the X-Men films and his other work since then. Now, one of the actors who got involved in this got involved specifically for the chance to work with Ian McKellen again. Ian McKellen and Tim Curry had already worked together on the stage, and Tim Curry jumped at the chance to be a part of this film when he found out he'd be a character who'd be interacting quite a bit with Ian McKellen's character, because he was so pleased working with McKellen the first time. Now, he's got over 200 credits to his name, dating back to 1968. Highlights include The Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Shout, Times Square, Annie, Legend, Clue, The Worst Witch, Long Ago and Far Away, The Tracy Ullman Show, Wise Guy, Paddington Bear, The Hunt for Red October, Tiny Toon Adventures, Tailspin, It, the TV miniseries, Oscar, Defenders of Dinatron City, believe it or not, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, Batman the Animated Series, Darkwing Duck, Home Alone 2, Loaded Weapon 1, Roseanne, Pirates of Dark Water, Tales from the Crypt, The Legend of Prince Valiant, Following the Shadow, and, well, the first couple credits actually spawn before and after. He was Voices on the Dinosaurs TV series, he was in Mighty Max, The Little Mermaid TV series, Earth 2, The Aladdin TV series, Sonic the Hedgehog TV series, Movies The Pebble and the Penguin, Congo, Muppet Treasure Island, Captain Planet and the Planeteers, Gargoyles, the Titanic TV miniseries, The Mask TV series, The Mighty Ducks TV series, Lex the Dark Zone, believe it or not, Teen Angel, A Christmas Carol, or one of them anyway, The Net TV series, which I have to say was much more satisfying than the film, The Jumanji TV series, Bartok the Magnificent, Batman Beyond, Voltron the Third Dimension, Charlie's Angels the movie, Scary Movie 2, Samurai Jack, The Cat Returns, Family Affair, Rugrats Go Wild, Monk, Will and Grace, Hey Arnold, The Wild Thornberries, Duck Dodgers, The Adventures of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, Garfield 2, A Sesame Street Christmas Carol, Psych, Ben 10 Alien Force, Curious George 2, Criminal Minds, Phineas and Ferb, Transformers Rescue Bots, Young Justice, Ben 10 Omniverse, and currently doing voices on Star Wars The Clone Wars. So he's a very well-known and prolific actor who doesn't necessarily put a lot of care and selection into the films he's done. I mean, one of the movies on his list that I left out was Christmas in Wonderland, which was filmed locally here, and yeah, not good. He came in as a last-minute replacement, and when I say last-minute replacement, I mean it was scheduled for a six-week shoot. He's in about a quarter of the film, and he was cast when they were in week nine of filming. Not the most organized production. Now, we also have Jonathan Winters. He's also got a significant list going back to 1954. Credits include The Twilight Zone, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, The Bob Hope Show, Early Birds, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Mork and Mindy, Smurf Quest as Grandpa Smurf, The Completely Mental Misadventures of Ed Grimley, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, the TV series, Garfield and Friends, Little Dracula, Frosty Returns, Animaniacs, Yogi the Easter Bear, the Flintstones movie was his last released movie before this. Following the Shadow, he was also in Captain Planet and the Planeteers, Johnny Bravo, Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, Comic Book the Movie, and Smurfs and Smurfs 2 as Papa Smurf. Now, from there we get, sort of move away a bit from the name actors and get into the recognizable actors, the oh that guy kind of actors, one of whom is Sab Shimino. He's got 106 credits to his name. Going back to 1962, 
Now, a lot of these are not very prominent roles. There's a lot of characters from the East. So in a lot of these, you know, he's cooks, he's Chinese leader, he's bomber commander, he's North Korean officer, so he was cast more for his appearance. But he was cast in M.A.S.H., in The Waltons, in Quincy M.E., in Cagney and Lacey, Heart to Heart, Modesty Blaze, Knight Rider, Call to Glory, Santa Barbara, Airwolf, Gung Ho, Hotel, Remington Steel, Max Headroom, Knott's Landing, Presumed Innocent, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Three Ninjas Kick Back, an episode of The X-Files that we recently covered in that podcast, Excelsis Day. Following this, well, that includes The X-Files, Waterworld, Seinfeld, ER, Paradise Road, Jack and Jill, Samurai Jack, Jackie Chan Adventures, The Simpsons, Justice League, Avatar The Last Airbender, the Indiana Jones Staff of King video games, the new Hawaii Five-0, and the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV series on Nickelodeon. We've got Andre Gregory, who is the title character of My Dinner with Andre. Namely, Andre Gregory, not the character played by Wallace Shawn. He was also in The Soldier's Tale, The Mosquito Coast, Bonfire of the Vanities, Demolition Man. Here he plays Burbank. There's not a lot of credits behind his name as an actor, but there's a lot of high-quality credits behind his name as an actor. We also have James Hong, who a lot of people would know best for his repeated line, Seinfeld 4, in that episode of Seinfeld in the Chinese restaurant. He's got 395 credits to his name, and that's in a career that dates back to 1954. We're talking Cavalcade of America, The Man Called X, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Matinee Theater, New Adventures of Charlie Chan, Playhouse 90, Dragnet, Peter Gunn, Zorro, Bat Masterson, Sugarfoot, Bonanza, Hawaiian Eye, Adventures in Paradise, Eugene O'Toole, General Hospital, The Outer Limits, Perry Mason, Ben Casey, The Man from Uncle, The Wackiest Ship in the Army, I Dream of Genie, Gomer Pyle, USMC, I Spy, The Bill Cosby Show, The Bob Newhart Show, Ironside, Barnaby Jones, The New Perry Mason, The Original Hawaii Five-O. Macmillan and Wife, Kung Fu, All in the Family, Canon, The Rookies, SWAT, Beretta, The Rockford Files, The Streets of San Francisco, Starsky and Hutch, Bionic Woman, Days of Our Lives, Wonder Woman, Switch, Maud, Charlie's Angels the TV series, Lou Grant, Taxi, Heart to Heart, Different Strokes, Airplane, Soap, Fantasy Island, Blade Runner, Dukes of Hazard, Sane Elsewhere, Marco Polo, Dynasty, Falcon Crest, Breathless, TJ Hooker, Missing in Action, Tales from the Dark Side, The A-Team, Cagney and Lacey, Airwolf, Crazy Like a Fox, Big Trouble in Little China, The Golden Child, Outlaws, Magnum P.I., Stingray, Miami Vice, Santa Barbara, Hot to Trot, The Equalizer, Hunter, War of the Worlds, Tango and Cash, Jake and the Fat Man, China Beach, MacGyver, Forever Night, Doogie Howser, M.D., Wayne's World 2, The Adventures of Briscoe County, Jr. Following the Shadow, he was also in Silent Fury, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Bad Company, Tank Girl, which we may eventually get to. He was in an episode of The X-Files from Season 3 that we haven't gotten to yet. Nash Bridges, Kung Fu The Legend Continues, Home Improvement, Malcolm and Eddie, Bloodsport 3, Mikhail's Navy, Murphy Brown, Ellen, Friends, The Blade Runner Video Game. The Drew Carey Show, Spawn, Millennium, The Pretender, Charmed, Martial Law, Dexter's Laboratory, The West Wing, Division, Jackie Chan Adventures, Teen Titans, Law & Order Special Victims Unit, Avatar The Last Airbender, Las Vegas, Bones, Chuck, Big Bang Theory, Zoe 101, 
the remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still, Archer, and quite a few more. I'm still scrolling through the IMDb list and just listing off the ones that catch my eye. Most recently, he's been in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Star Wars, The Clone Wars, but he's got five announced films in various levels of production, pre-production, and post-production. So of all the on-screen personalities, he's easily got the longest list of credits. Now, we've got Arsenio Sunny Trinidad in here as well. He's another one that seems to have a lot of small roles just to have someone of a certain ethnic background. But he's been in The Next Karate Kid and some other Karate Kid movies. Hunter, MacGyver, Last Action Hero, Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, Dark Man, Dharma and Greg, Magnificent Seven, Chopper John M.D., Airwolf, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, the 1986 remake, Max Hedrum, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show as Obi-Wan Cannoli. So again, he's got a fairly extensive list of credits, 52 credits dating back to 1979. We've got Joseph Maher, who's a guy I wouldn't even know by name. I looked him up, but he's one of those guys when, when you see him, it's the, oh, that guy. He's got 69 credits. The prominent ones that are listed on the IMDb are Guiding Light, Another World, Mars Attacks, and My Stepmother is an Alien. Unfortunately, he passed away about mid-1998. His credits started in 1952 with Guiding Light. He's also been in Another World, MASH, Ellery Queen, Wonder Woman, Heaven Can Wait, The Evil That Men Do, Saint Elsewhere, the original Frankenweenie short, Stingray, Give Me a Break, Second Chance, My Two Dads, Funny Farm, Alf, Moonlighting, Anything But Love, 30-something. He was also on Seinfeld. Batman the Animated Series, Sister Act. Following the Shadow, he was in Murder, She Wrote, IQ, Tales from the Crypt, Surviving Picasso, Mars Attacks, Chicago Hope, In and Out, and the last credited film of his career is Out of Towners, which was actually released after he'd passed away. We've got John Capellos, who's another one of those Oh That Guy kind of actors with 175 credits to his name. They date back to 1981. We're talking about Tootsie Class, Sixteen Candles, Miami Vice, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, My Man Adam, Who's the Boss, Nothing in Common, Roxanne, ENG, Internal Affairs, LA Law, Murder She Wrote, Matlock, Quantum Leap, Guilty as Sin, Seinfeld. Following the Shadow, we've got Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Forever Night, Wise Guy, The Craft, Home Improvement, Dave's World, Nash Bridges, The Practice, Time Cop, Once a Thief, First Wave, Angel, God the Devil and Bob, West Wing, Legally Blonde. He also appeared in The X-Files. In the final season, CSI, Crime Scene Investigations, Judging Amy, Stephen King's Dead Zone, Dead Like Me, Frasier, Cold Case, Crossing Jordan, Without a Trace, Boston Legal, Queer as Folk, Gilmore Girls, Desperate Housewives, CSI New York, Chuck, The Young and the Restless, House M.D., Days of Our Lives, The Mentalist, Lost Girl, Law and Order LA, Castle, Criminal Minds, Shameless, Psych, Justified, Graceland, Republic of Doyle, and he also has five projects that are still coming up. Now, Max Wright also has a fair amount of work before and after this, 66 credits. I don't want to spend too much time going through all these credits because there's a lot of notable actors in this. The key ones for him would be ALF is probably the most prominent. But he also had guest spots on WKRP, he was in The Sting 2, Buffalo Bill, Aftermash, Cheers, Misfits of Science, Murder, She Wrote. In ALF specifically, he played Willie Tanner. He was in Quantum Leap, he was in Ghost Rider, he was in The Stand, 
Friends, Grumpier Old Men, The John Lee Roquette Show, From the Earth to the Moon, The Drew Carey Show, Norm, and so forth. Now, Star Trek fans who kept a close eye out might have noticed an actor by the name of Ethan Phillips. His career dates back to 1970. Part of this it includes Benson, Twilight Zone, Critters, Hunter, Werewolf, Lean on Me. He was actually in Star Trek The Next Generation as Dr. Farrick in just a one-shot. He was in Murphy Brown, Law & Order, L.A. Law, NYPD Blue. He was in Star Trek First Contact as the holodeck nightclub maitre d'. But Star Trek fans would know him best as Neelix from Star Trek Voyager. He also had a guest appearance on Star Trek Enterprise as Ulis in the episode Acquisition. Now he's had a few other roles, but Neelix is probably the most prominent. Although his other credits include things like Castle, The Mentalist, Young and the Restless, Chuck. Even the man who played the bellboy in this had a number of credits before this. There's The Golden Girls, My Stepmother is an Alien, Who is Harry Crumb, Night Court, Back to the Future Part 2, Wonder Years, L.A. Story, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, which I think was sadly underrated, Adventures in Wonderland. Following this, he was Murphy Brown's Secretary Number 69, Tales from the Crypt, Full House, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Home Improvement, Family Matters, Rude Awakening, But I'm a Cheerleader, Popular, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle, That's So Raven, Veronica Mars. So he's had a number of credits. Now, Joe Dongerio is in this film in a pretty bit part. He had previously appeared in St. Elsewhere, Tales from the Dark Side, Hill Street Blues, Werewolf, Dead Man Walking, China Beach, Fat Man and Little Boy, The Rocketeer, which we will get to eventually, Of Mice and Men, True Romance, The Naked Gun 33 and a Third. Following this, he was in ER, The Commish, Norma Jean and, Mel and Marilyn, Speed 2, Cruise Control, The Practice, The West Wing, Alias, NYPD Blue, 24, Million Dollar Baby, Heartland, Without a Trace, and he's got films in production right now. We've got Larry Joshua, who's also got 71 acting credits to his name. Dates back to 1951. Prior credits include Running Out, Miami Vice, Cop Rock, Romeo is Bleeding, Unforgiven. Following this, we've got credits like Can't Hurry Love, Murder One, Silk Stockings, Party of Five. He was also in The X-Files, specifically the film, or the first film anyway, Fight the Future. Seventh Heaven, Walker, Texas Ranger, Judging Amy, Touched by an Angel, NYPD Blue. He was in 2002 Spider-Man as the wrestling promoter, and we'll deal with the rest of his credits following that film. We've got Larry Hankin, who also has a considerable credit list, and who is also a bit part in here. He goes back to 1966 with that girl. He's also been in Lou Grant, Dr. Dracula, Laverne and Shirley, WKRP in Cincinnati, Eight is Enough, Heart to Heart, Annie, The Sting 2, Hill Street Blues, The Sure Thing, Hunter, Newhart, Alf, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Jake and the Fat Man, She's Having a Baby, Mr. Belvedere, Matlock, Pretty Woman, Dragnet, Home Alone, Star Trek The Next Generation, in an uncredited role in The Cost of Living, Picket Fences, Seinfeld, Mad About You, Step by Step, Married with Children. He followed this with It's Pat, Billy Madison, Lois and Clark, Star Trek Voyager, Home Improvement, Friends as Mr. Heckles. Weird Science, Party of Five, Walker, Texas Ranger, ER, Malcolm in the Middle, The Sarah Silverman Program, and, again, quite a few more, five of which are in various levels of pre-production. We've got Al Young, who was also cast for his works, or his looks, in a lot of these credits that he has. He does have 60 credits to his name. The most notable ones are probably Die Hard as one of the terrorists, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure as Genghis Khan, he was in The Scorpion King, he was in Lethal Weapon. 
24, Steel Justice, MacGyver, TJ Hooker, The A-Team. We've got Stephen Hitner, who was also in The X-Files, Face Off the Prophecy, In the Line of Fire, maybe most recognizable for his role on Seinfeld as Kenny Banya. But we've also got Lois and Clark, Dave's World. We've got a lot of credits to his name, too. And he's a very bit part in this. He's a security guard. The other security guard is Abraham Ben Ruby, who's best known for ER, U-Turn, Wrist Cutters, and Big Hero 6. He's got six films in various levels of pre-production. He's been in Robot Chicken. He's been in, in String Theory, Bones, Happy Town, ER, Men in Trees, Criminal Minds, Miss Congeniality. He was Buffy in Buffy the Vampire Slayer as Olaf in a couple of episodes. He was in Dark Angel. He was also in The X-Files, an episode titled Arcadia. That's actually the one that was broadcast out of order. So if you're listening to The X-Files podcast, you'll get a heads up there. We will not be watching that one in the order they are on the DVDs. We'll be watching them in a different order. He was in Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Growing Pains, Roseanne, Married with Children. Again, as a nameless security guard. The last of the cast that we're going to talk about is Frank Welker. He's got 735 credits to his name, which are almost exclusively voice acted credits. I'm only aware of one live action role he's ever had. If you have watched cartoons between 1970 and now, you have heard at least one of his voices. So we're talking about a guy who was in The Computer War Tennis Shoes, his second film role and his only one on screen. He is the voices of both Fred and Scooby-Doo in all of the Scooby-Doo projects. He was the voice of Marvin, Wonder Dog, The Creature, Igor, and Holo, all in Super Friends. He was in The Last of the Mohicans. He was in Wonderbug, Fred Flintstone and Friends, The All-New Popeye Hour, Yogi Space Race, as Jabberjaw, Scooby-Doo Dino Mud Hour. He was the voice of Herbie in the 1978 Fantastic Four cartoon. He was the voice of the Toy Man and Lilliputians and others in The Challenge of the Super Friends. He was in Fred and Barney Meet Shmoo as Shmoo. He was in The Super Globetrotters. He was in the Plastic Man Comedy Adventures show. Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo, Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels, The Richie Rich Scooby-Doo Show, The Raiders of the Lost Ark, he led some voice effects to that one. The Fawns and the Happy Days Gang is Mr. Cool. He was in one of the voices in Blackstar, actually several voices in Blackstar. He was Chomp Chomp and Morris in the Pac-Man cartoon. He was Mr. Mixus Pitlick and Dr. Wells in later episodes of Super Friends. In G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, he was Timber, Wild Bull, Rock and Roll, Short Fuse, and a few others. In The Dukes, he was a Flash, General Lee, Smokey, and other additional voices. Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, he was Iceman. He was Miss Lion. In Turbo Teen, he was Flip, Rusty, and the Dark Rider. In the original My Little Pony TV movie, he was Grendel and Bush Willie No. 3. In Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, he provided the voice of Spock's screams at the end. In Gremlins, he was Stripe, General Mogwise, and General Gremlins. In G.I. Joe, The Revenge of Cobra, he was... You know, Junkyard, Freedom, as well as Torch, Short Fuse, Wild Bill, and other characters he'd been before. In the Legendary, or Super Friends, the Legendary Superpowers show, he was Mr. Mixus Pitlick, as he'd already had been, as well as Darkseid, Calabac, and a few others. He was in the Punky Brewster cartoon as Glomer. In Inspector Gadget, he was Dr. Claw, Brain, Mad Cat, and more. In the Superpowers Galactic Guardians, he was Darkseid, Calabac, and the Joker, as well as some other characters. Challenge of the Gobots, he was Scooter, Blaster, Zemon, and more. Dungeons and Dragons, Uni, Tiamat, more. The Jetsons is Orbity, Ghost of Christmas Present, Young Mr. Spacely, and more. In Transformers, he was Megatron, Soundwave, Rumble, and more. 
He was the voice of Mad Dog in the Rambo cartoon. He was various voices in the Flintstones kids. In other Transformers cartoons, on top of being Megatron and Galvatron, he was Mixmaster, Rumble, Soundwave, Skywarp, Pinpointer, and he was various voices in 95 episodes of that. DuckTales, Treasure of the Golden Suns, he was Big Time Beagle and Penguin Leaguer. And this is even just a short version of his credits. I can't possibly go through all 735, but some of the ones that are also showed up from my childhood. He was Slimer in Slimer and the Real Ghostbusters. He was a number of Smurfs in the Smurfs cartoon. Frequently hefty Smurf, also Poet Smurf, Peewit, and so forth. In Pride of the X-Men, he was Toad and Lockheed. In DuckTales, he was a number of the Beagle Boys. In Alvin and the Chipmunks, he did a lot of additional voices. He was the Game Boy and Captain and the Game Master. He was Jabbers, Zephyrs, and Marquis de Boulia Base, and more in Adventures of the Gummy Bears. He was Wildly Pole, Brutus, and more in Tailspin. He was the Tyrannosaurus Rex in Back to the Future, The Ride. He was Razar and Toka in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. He played three voices in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, Real Ghostbusters, in addition to Slimer, he was also Dr. Ray Stance. A Muppet Babies, he was Kermit, Skeeter, Beaker, and more. He was also a number of voices in Darkwing Duck, in Tiny Toon Adventures, in Goof Troop, Pirates of Dark Water, The Little Mermaid, Sonic the Hedgehog, Bonkers. And here he is the voice of Furba, who's one of the characters in The Shadow. But he's got a huge list of credits that we have barely touched. At that point, you know, when we stopped there, that was only having scrolled through about a third of the list of credits behind his name. So if you're interested in voice acting at all, you need to know the name Frank Welker. Now we've got other people involved who are working behind the camera. We've got Jerry Goldsmith, who also did the score for Supergirl, and a few other ones. He was also known for various chapters of the Star Trek franchise, IQ, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Rambo 3. So he's got a lot of credits behind his name. His is very well respected. Now, the cinematographer for this film was Stephen H. Burham. His credits go back to 1969, including Mork and Mindy, Land of the Lost, Escape Artist, Death Valley, St. Elmo's Fire, Body Double, Eight Million Ways to Die, and a number of these, including Carlito's Way, Following the Shadow, which seems to be towards the end of his active career. He was born in 1939, so he was about due for retirement. But Following the Shadow, he also did Mission Impossible, Snake Eyes, Mystery Men, Mission to Mars. His last credit was Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Now, Beth Wilhelm Besterveld is one of the editors. Now, she's only got three editing credits, and The Shadow was the second of the three. So The Russia House was first, uncredited, then The Shadow, and finally, If These Walls Could Talk. Also, assist editor on The Real McCoy, Rob Roy, Eye for an Eye, L.A. Confidential, and Mercury Rising. Peter Hornis was also an editor with 35 credits. To his name. So there's a few more here going back to 73, including Highlander, where he'd previously worked with director Russell Mulcahy, Mr. Baseball, Ricochet, The Real McCoy, Six Degrees of Separation. Following the Shadow went on to Rob Roy, If These Walls Could Talk, LA Confidential, Mercury, Rising, The Kid, The Fast and the Furious, Harry Potter in the Chamber of Secrets, Aeon Flux, Golden Compass, Peter Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, and most recently, Romeo and Juliet. And Mary Calcoon, I may be totally mispronouncing, possibly did the most shockingly good work in this film. She was the casting director. So she's the one that brought this team together for this particular movie. And I say that's an impressive feat because, by and large, this is a very mediocre movie. I mean, the movie itself 
opens with a drug lord who's running the opium trade in Tibet. Very clearly a scum of the earth type. He's, you know, orders his guards to shoot through his, foggier, his father figure to kill the man behind him over a petty dispute. He appears to be totally irredeemable, but he's also the hero played by Alec Baldwin. He is soon basically kidnapped and drafted by a Tibetan monk to be trained as a hero with the power to cloud men's minds. His advantage when fighting crime is that he knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men, because that same evil lurks in his own heart, and he has to fight it every day. So the Tibetan monk says, acknowledges that he's been losing this fight, but that's why he's been drafted. Now, in the course of the film, we define that the villain, Shiwan Khan, is another disciple who didn't quite learn that redemption lesson. He just learned how to power, how to cloud men's minds. He learned the skills that Lamont Cranston learned in the seven years that Cranston had disappeared from the face of the earth, at least as far as America was concerned, but he didn't want to use those for good. He bucked the redemption lessons, killed their master, and came to New York to recruit Lamont Cranston to his side, because he figured the two of them together would be unstoppable. So this is definitely a different kind of hero. The millionaire playboy elements that we have here were lifted from the shadow and given to Batman. And Bill Finger, who wrote the first Batman story, even admits that he was ripping off one of the shadow prose novels for The Case of the Chemical Syndicate, which is the first Batman story in Detective Comics 27. There's also some pretty heavy influences from this on to Doctor Strange in terms of the details both of his origin and of his relationship to his adversary, Baron Mordo. So, assuming that the elements in this film were drawn from the source material, which, given this writer, is probably a pretty safe assumption, I would say that, yeah, Doctor Strange was taking that directly from this film. Now, the pacing of the movie is pretty slow and deliberate. It doesn't feel like the superhero movies we have now with the quick cuts and the, the high action. This really feels more like the serials of the 30s and 40s, including some of the same, you know, set-up punchline humor that was coming off the vaudeville acts that didn't necessarily play well for 1994 movie audiences. It does have some nice ties to the source material. It doesn't take much to see that there was a distinctive look for the shadow established for the, the pulp characters, and Lamont Cranston uses his power to cloud men's minds to make them see what he wants to see, including that image as a secret identity. The film as a whole does get a little goofy and over the top, especially with Mo doing you know, his crazy cab driving and so forth. It is entertaining enough to see once, especially if you're looking for the elements that would have been stolen by other superheroes later on, keeping in mind that this came out in 1930, which puts it several years, you know, eight years ahead of Superman and nine years ahead of Batman. Unfortunately, the quality of the final production was limited by time, budget, and bad luck. So an earthquake actually destroyed part of the set that they were planning to use for the climax. So that mirrored hall had to be just it had to be rebuilt on short notice with very low budget. The whole sequence was dramatically shortened. And given that this does have an effective use of light and shadow, and not just for demonstrating when the shadow is using his powers, you know, it, it these lighting and shadow effects are used well in terms of both the cinematography and visual metaphor throughout. It must have been a great disappointment for the creators to lose that mirrored hall that they spent so much time constructing. Because I I would expect that to have the strongest visuals of the film had it been able to go through as they originally intended. And a lot of the tropes that we see today would have started with these guys. I mean, Moe as the insane cab driver in the 1930s is here. And the cast is... You've heard the list of these guys and how many of them are in tiny little bit parts. The casting director did put a lot of talented people together. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Russell Mulcahy really had the skill to get strong performances out of a lot of them. The ultimate acting from... 
a lot of these people who've gone on to take home Oscars is pretty bland. You can sort of catch them acting, as James Garner once said. Now, we do get a very different origin for this hero. He doesn't have a desire to be a hero, and he is an outright villain when we first meet him. So I, I think it would have been nice to see more of that seven years where he was being turned around. It does give a new dynamic between him and the villain, since he's struggling with himself as much as he is with the villain. And Khan knows it. At one point, the female love interest, who also happens to be telepathic and can read Lamont's mind, which is why he's trying to avoid her so she doesn't learn his secret identity, she gets mesmerized by Khan, which I find interesting because she was immune to Lamont Cranston's powers, but was a victim of Khan's, and she was sent to kill Cranston. He snaps her out of it, she doesn't succeed, but when Cranston goes to see Khan, he says, you sent her to kill me, and Khan says, no, I didn't send her to kill, I sent her to be killed. He wanted Margot Lane to attack the Shadow, jeopardize his position, and just bring the evil out of Lamont to kill him does give a pretty interesting representation of the power set, too. We've got... It's a little bit wonky. He's just supposed to be clouding men's perceptions. So he'd really be there, but they don't notice him. And it's treated almost like invisibility. So he's coming out of the shadows or out of the clouds to hit people. He's not very strong. He's not particularly athletic. He's just a well-trained human. But he can just make you fail to notice where he is and what he's doing. So I'm not sure why that means he leaves two invisible holes in the water as though his legs actually were invisible when he's in a flooding water tank. I don't know why these same abilities that prevents people from noticing a hotel allow them to see the signs on the building behind the hotel and read what they say. It, this idea could work well in prose. It could work well on the radio. It doesn't actually work that well when you marry it with visuals. And that could be why it performed the way it did. It is a decent movie. It's just not a spectacular movie. The IMDb user rating is 5.9 out of 10. The budget is an estimated 25 million US with a total domestic gross of only 32,055,248. The total worldwide was only 16 million higher than that. So it's well below that rule of thumb we have where you have to have two to three times the domestic budget before you can be confident that the film is profitable. So if this movie is in the black, it's because of the home video releases. I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's not great. It is a solidly mediocre film which deserves to pay for itself more than some blockbuster sequels and franchises I can name, uh, some of which were also written by David Kep. So one of the things we like to look at in these podcasts is how much influence this has over the character. Well, the Shadow franchise was all but dead when this came out. So this movie didn't have a big impact on the Shadow, aside from bringing the two disparate backgrounds into a single coherent film. The most interesting thing I found about this is watching this character that predates the other heroes and seeing how much they took from him. So if you're interested in the history of superheroes and the history of the pulp heroes in the genre, it is worth checking out. It's probably preferred to find the original pulp novels or the radio shows, but if you want a decent 108-minute summary of those, this is a good place to look. As I've said, the Blu-ray is available at pretty low cost if you go digging around. So that's all we have for this month. Please join us again on the 14th of next month and every month thereafter as we discuss another silver screen superhero. I haven't quite figured out the lineup for the next couple of months, but when we do start getting into franchises, things will be announced long in advance with the sequences so you know what to expect if you're following along at home. In the meantime, please feel free to leave reviews on iTunes or on Stitcher. Check out some of our other podcasts, including the new unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast, where we go through the 75 Greatest Marvel Stories as voted by Marvel readers, and 
Finally, you could send feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com, including whether or not you believe James Bond is a superhero, and if so, who your favorite Bond actor was. And finally, thank you for listening.